The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, thank you for joining us once again on Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. On the line with me today, someone that is very involved in the pro-life movement, leads Project Life Voice, and that person is Mike Spencer. Mike, Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to be with you today. You know, it is great to talk to another person who has a heart. I mean, so many uh, have a heart in this day and age to to know what's going on in the whole pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do ministry work, but you also a part of that ministry work. You, You motivate pastors to get more involved and to have a greater understanding of the pro-life movement, right? That's right. Yep. And do a lot of work with pastors, churches, and just really um, pro-lifers, Christian, any Christian, any ambassador that wants to be an ambassador for the unborn. So I do a lot of workshops, do speaking in a lot of churches, a lot of banquet speaking as well. Yep. So what is your full-time thing? What do you do up in Ohio where you're calling from mm-hmm. today? Sure. Well, this is my full-time thing. I was a pastor for um, 23 years. I served in pastoral roles, seven years in youth ministry, and then 16 years in senior pastor roles. But I stepped away from my pastoral role 11 years ago um, to do this work. And so I lead um, Project Life Voice. And in short, what I do is I equip pro-life ambassadors to speak um, intelligently and to speak uh, uh, persuasively to what is clearly the defining moral issue of our day today, and that is the legal destruction of the unborn by abortion. Now, we've seen a lot of changes that's happened in the uh, the mm-hmm. whole topic this last year. And that's right. It, it is, uh, as one friend said, it when the Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was not the end of the pro-life movement. He said it was only the beginning. And that couldn't that's be right. more true, correct? That's exactly right. And we've certainly seen that in the landscape. One of the great things about the fall of Roe was that it, 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 it really has made it difficult for a lot of um, uh, lawmakers who have kind of hidden behind Roe and, you know, said, well, we can't pass this bill or we can't pass that bill because of Roe, blah, blah, blah. And now that's, that's gone. And so now these guys and gals that are, that are serving as our lawmakers are going to have to ante up. So that's been a great thing. Another great blessing of the fall of Roe is just the the momentum that it has given us, you know, and um, within the pro-life community that is. And so it it is, it is an exciting time. Of course, it's also brought out the worst from the other side. We've seen uh, many um, uh, abortion supporters, um, certainly not all, but many of them who have become violent and, and other things with regard to, um, you know, their protests. And so it's certainly a difficult time to, to be ministering, but it's also an exciting time because we are seeing God move. Now you were a pastor for 23 years. How did you first Mm -hmm. come to know the Lord? Well, I, I grew up in the Detroit area. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a very good home, but um, not a Christian home. But um, I met my um, my wife at a bank where we worked. Um, we both worked, and she had been sharing Christ with me and for about a year or so and finally led me to Christ. And I, I joked she led me to Christ. I married her, and we call it even. She doesn't like that joke. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, that was in 1983. Like <laughs> yeah, that was in 1983. And um, so I tell people I fell in love with Barbara, Jesus, and the body of Christ all in the month of September in 1983. So that was a good good month for me. But that's a great yeah, month so she, for you. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good month indeed. Absolutely. So yeah, that's how it, that's and I mean that's the Reader's Digest version, of course. But that's how I came to faith in Christ. So growing up, and now uh, you said that was the Detroit area. You're in Ohio mm-hmm. now. What led you there? Well, I moved from uh, Detroit to go to a small Bible college in Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in 1985. Graduated in '89, um, did a youth pastor, two youth pastoral roles uh, there, and then a senior pastor role there in Fort Wayne. And then what brought me to Ohio was another senior pastor role. I moved here to pastor a church here. Okay, now along the way, obviously mm-hmm. there was something rolling in your heart that produced this great love for the pro-life movement and commitment to it. Sure. What, what would be the maybe the straw that broke the camel's back on that one? Yeah, no, that that's a good question. Well, I, I actually considered myself uh, pro-choice. I, um, I wasn't radically pro-choice. I don't remember ever debating it with anybody or even really talking about it. But I think I was like a lot of Americans. I saw abortion as a necessary evil, and but what happened was, 
within the first year after I came to faith in Christ, the church that I started attending um, in the Detroit area showed the film, The Silent Scream. And some of your listeners will be familiar with that film. It was kind of a, a, a very groundbreaking kind of a pro-life film back then when it came out. It actually came out just into 1984 when I saw it. And former abortionist Bernard Nathanson, who became a pro-lifer, um, produced the film. And I saw with my own eyes, Mike, what abortion did to little girls and boys. And I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And that was a game changer for me. And I went on, as I said, to serve in youth pastor roles and then senior pastor roles. And I had this burden that just continued to, to grow. Um, and so that, that really was the primary thing, but there were other things along the way in 1990, I think it was in 1991, my wife and I held in our hands a little baby girl who was, I think, about five months of gestation, who had been aborted by a saline solution abortion. And we held her lifeless little body in our hands. And, you know, I hear the cliches and all the sloganeering from the other side, my body, my choice, you know, don't like abortion, don't have one, and so on and so forth. But when you hold in your hands the, the product of choice, a lifeless little child, all of a sudden, all of those slogans, all of that cliche, it disintegrates under the weight of that child. So events like that, things like that um, have just really increased my burden um, for the unborn, but specifically for the church, because I think the church has the duty. Clearly the church has the duty to speak up for those who have no voice. Proverbs 31, I'm sorry, Proverbs 31 verse eight makes that abundantly clear. And so uh, my burden is, is to see the church, um, respond to abortion as a gospel issue, because I think that's what it is. It's a loving your neighbor as yourself issue. And, and it's so sad, isn't it, that these unborn children who have their own DNA, they're completely mm-hmm. separate from their mom in that sense. That's right. They're not just a little flick of flesh that is inside the mom at all. They are a person, a living, breathing person, yet in um, America, this is really hard for me still to this day mm-hmm. after all these years, right. 50 years post that first decision for Roe v. Wade. And we know it was going on long before that in in dark corners and hidden places uh, in America. But for the last 50 years, I think your understanding of the way you uh, stated it earlier, a lot of politicians hid behind that and they hid behind that conveniently as if they couldn't do anything about it or that nothing would ever be done about it. But we live in a time right now where now that's over. And so is that excuse. But that does not yeah. mean that, that the need has gone away. No, you're you're exactly right, and um, and again, I I I keep going back um, to the the role of the church and specifically to the role of shepherds um, in this battle. They have got to start speaking up, and I am grateful that there are pastors um, who do not shrink back from giving voice to the voiceless. And I thank God for these men, and I I am blessed to be able to meet many of them throughout the United States in my travels. But it's fair to say, I think, that the overwhelming majority of um, shepherds are asleep at the wheel when it comes to speaking up for the unborn. They may call themselves pro-life. They may even support a local pregnancy care center, which is a great thing to do, and I wish more churches did it. But when it comes to actually thundering from their pulpits against the evil of abortion and equipping their congregations to know how to speak compellingly and, and, and redemptively but boldly to this issue, that's just not happening in most of our churches today. And so... Um, you know, our, our, certainly our political leaders um, have a moral responsibility before God as well. But I really think that it, it starts with pastors. It starts with churches. You know, the judgment begins, the Bible says, at the house of God. And mm-hmm. I, I know that a lot of pastors, I, I think I could say most pastors would feel that they have in their heart a position of being strong pro-life. And yet you're right when you say that so many pastors do not address this subject from the pulpit. And that's something that you really aim through Project Life Voice is to help them do just that and to become more proactive. Mm -hmm. What would be the reason you think that they haven't been up until now? Sure. Well, I think there's a few reasons. Let me just give your audience three very quickly. And that would be fear, ignorance, and apathy. I think there's a fear that if I speak out to this issue, speak out to uh, speak out on this issue, that I'm going to offend, that I'm going to turn people away from the gospel, or that I'm going to offend those who have been hurt by a, you know previous abortion decisions. I think that's one one reason, or the fear of just being, I'm sorry, the fear of appearing political. A lot of pastors see um, their duty to speak up for the unborn as in conflict 
uh, because they think it's a political issue. And it is true in a sense that abortion is a political issue, but it's much more accurate to describe it as a moral spiritual issue that has been politicized. And just because a moral issue is politicized does not render it off limits for the pulpit. Mm -hmm. But I do think fear is a big one. I think ignorance is another one. And I don't mean that as a pejorative, but I mean just ignorance in the true sense of the word. Just I think there are pastors who maybe are unaware of how um, profoundly abortion is impacting many in their own church. In other words, there are men and women in our churches, in most of our churches, that have been impacted by abortion decisions, but the pastor's unaware of it. Now, I don't, I don't give a lot of grace to that because I, I think in this day and age, shepherds should not be ignorant to this. There's enough talk about abortion. They should know by now. But I do think that is certainly with some, uh, the reason that they go silent. And then I think apathy is a, a huge one. I, I think there are, and I don't like saying this, but in any, in any um, uh, career field, there are people who are, you know, who really don't care about those that they're serving. So you, you do have some doctors, I hope it's a small number, that don't care about their patients. You have some attorneys that don't care about their clients. You have some school teachers that don't care about their students. And sadly, tragically, we do have shepherds that really don't care about the flock. You know, the, Jesus had a word for them. He called them hirelings. You know, when the mm -hmm. wolf comes, they scatter, they run. Yeah. And um, when, a, when a pastor in 2023 will not speak up for the least of these, the most vulnerable from their flock, he is a hireling. He has got no good excuse in this day and age. We know what abortion does to children. We know it's impacting our communities and in many cases, our own local churches. And so not to speak up is really just it's just a, a apathy or cowardice or, or whatever. But Jesus, again, calls those who won't protect the flock hirelings. The shepherd is, I would say it this way, Mike, the shepherd is first and foremost. If you were to boil his job description down to two words, he's a sheep protector. That's the job. It's, he's not just that. He feeds the sheep, you know, and so on and so forth. But he is a sheep protector first and foremost, whether he's protecting that flock from gossip or slander or false doctrine or protecting that flock from evil men who've dressed up in, in doctor uniforms and, uh, you know, and are killing our children. I mean, this is the job of the, the, the shepherd is to, to speak up and, and to do that in a way that no one is left wondering in his church where he or God stand on the matter. Now, when we see what they're not doing, that's one thing. For speaking positively for churches, mm -hmm. how can they get involved and become proactive as a voice for life? Sure. Well, first of all, I think shepherds need to understand that, res that their response, their pastoral response to abortion is a gospel issue. It is a loving your neighbor as yourself issue. It's, it's also a discipleship issue because Jesus said to teach um, uh, all that he has commanded. And so I think we, we, need to, we need to inform our flocks, educate our flocks on how to make the case for life. And that's what I do. I, I help churches do that. But um, to, we, we can't assume that our congregations have sort of just sort of absorbed the biblical position on um, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, you know, the, being created in God's image. They need to be taught that. I, I think they also need to be teaching their congregations that this is the defining moral issue of our day. So, you know, there, those would be some of the things, but I, I would give, I would say that there are four pastoral duties, four primary pastoral duties. One is from the pulpit, the pro-life, the truly distinctively pro-life pastor leads the flock in prayer for the preborn and their parents. Now, again, I'm not going to get legalistic about this. It doesn't have to be every Sunday or even the first Sunday of every month, but we should be praying. You know, if, if we pray for our enemies, if we pray for the persecuted church, we pray for victims of sex trafficking, certainly we should be willing to pray for the unborn, their young moms and dads, for the abortion, the abortion staff, and so forth. So that's the first thing. I think the second duty is that, again, from the pulpit, the distinctively, truly pro-life pastor leads the flock um, uh, uh, to the one who died to forgive them. In other words, if they've been impacted by an abortion decision, um, we need to be showing them that there is forgiveness. When the church goes silent, when the pastor goes silent, he's communicating one of two messages. Either abortion's not so bad, or the gospel's not so good, mm. or both. And mm. we can do better. We must do better. We, we're told, Paul said, to speak the truth in love. And so uh, that would be a second one. A third one is that the, the distinctively pro-life pastor needs to fearlessly expose and condemn abortion from the pulpit for the evil that it is. Ephesians 5.11 gives us our marching orders, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's the duty of the, of the church. Um, 
and so, uh, you know, I, I think I think those are the responsibilities of of the shepherd. Um, again, supporting the local pregnancy care center is a wonderful thing to do. I wish more churches would do it. It's a great marriage between the local church and a ministry that is specializing in in reaching young moms who are abortion minded and helping them through the the difficult decisions that they're that they're making. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of ways shepherds can be involved. But first and foremost, I think it's their duty to be a voice within their own local church so that no one in that congregation is wondering where God stands on this issue. I love that. The January is designated as Sanctity of Human Life Month. So this mm-hmm. is very timely, Project Life Voice, helping people make that decision, helping pastors gain what they need to know to, to get their voice. I, I like the expression of finding their voice. They can find their voice on this most right. important issue. We've got a little bit of time. I know you're also a member of Samaritan Ministries, and that's something yes. that we've talked a lot about on my program before. How did SMI help you? Oh, my goodness. They have been wonderful. I, um, My wife and I, I, I don't know how many years it's been. I think it's been seven or eight years or longer that we've been with Samaritan, and um, it's just been wonderful. I am a stage four cancer survivor. And, um, wow. and so I've, I've, uh, you know, been in a ho- out of hospitals and so on and so forth. Now that was years ago. And that was before I was with Samaritan ministry, but it's part of the reason I'm with Samaritan. It was, uh, very difficult for me to get affordable, um, health insurance and Samaritan has been wonderful. Uh, in fact, I, I was, uh, telling somebody recently that's kind of neat. Well, first of all, I just love the idea of Christians joining together and saying, we'll help each other pay our bills. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just nothing more biblical than that. But the other thing that's really neat is occasionally when I go into a doctor's office, again, I don't want to sound like I'm in and out of the doctors every week. I'm not. But occasionally when we go into the doctor's office and I say, well, I'm self-pay and they'll say, they'll actually say, oh, you're with Samaritan Ministries. They, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. there's enough of us out there now that they, they know who we are. And so it's pretty neat. So it's just been wonderful. It's a blessing, you know, when we are able to send a check off to help somebody else or when we when we receive a check and the sending of notes back and forth to Christian brothers and sisters who we've never met and probably never will meet. But there's just a, it's just a great it's a great thing. The world has nothing on the body of Christ. That's for sure. That's for sure. Now, that address is SamaritanMinistries.org. Give us the website for Project Life Voice and maybe what's going on uh, for 2023. Sure. Project Life Voice is just, uh, the website is projectlifevoice.com, projectlifevoice.com. I'm easy to reach through that website. And uh, really in 2023, we're going to just continue. I'm going to continue to uh, do all that I can to to get into more and more churches. Um, I do a lot of workshops through churches and through pregnancy care centers and Right to Life affiliates. And so the goal really in 2023 is just to in- increase that influence and to get to a, a even bigger audiences, wider audiences, and really equip um, uh, pro-life ambassadors to speak up and, and to speak out and to do that in a way that is, again, compelling and persuasive and redemptive. Well, we're praying that uh, the changes continue to go in a positive direction for the pro-life movement. Certainly last year was a big shot in uh, removing that one barrier, but uh, many other barriers remain. And mm-hmm. I appreciate what you're doing, sir, uh, in well, thank you. getting the word out to pastors and giving them the equipping they need, the knowledge they need to, to rightly serve this issue to their congregation. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Mike, for the opportunity to be with you today. I'm really blessed by it. Mike Spencer, and he is the leader at Project Life Voice. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Here we are for segment two on the program today and on the line. Speaking to me from Loudon, Virginia, I've got on the line Ryan Bomberger. Just a little bit about Ryan. He is the co-founder and chief creative officer for the Radiance Foundation. That website is radiance.life. He's also the author of the book, Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong, and co-author of a brand new book called she is she. Wow. Now, that sounds like something that is going on in the world today. Ryan, thank you for being part of my program. 
Well, it's great to be here with you. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself as we get going here. How did you get doing all of these books? Uh, what led you to do what you do? Well, my wife, Bethany, and I started the Radiance Foundation back in 2009 because we wanted to address these culture-shaping issues with a biblical worldview. We wanted to illuminate that every human life, whether you're planned or unplanned, has you know, an inherent value not given to us by government, of course, but given to us by God. And part of it is, is based on our personal stories. I was adopted and loved into a family of 15. I have six brothers, six sisters, and 10 of us were adopted. And I am that 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. My birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape, but even though she was a victim of that violence, she did not make me a victim of the violence of abortion. So I'm eternally grateful to my courageous birth mother. I loved growing up in that tiny little family of 15. And, and my mom, was, my mom, my, my wife was a single mom and she faced all the fear and the confusion that some young women, uh, many young women face and rejected the violence of abortion, never considered it, but the pressure on her as a teacher, as a single professional was, was incredible, but she rejected that. And that baby girl's name is Radiance, the reason for the name. Oh, I see the tie-in. Well, that's great. Yeah. Now, you, you know this this whole thing that you you joked about uh, a small family of fifteen. Just give a moment. What what in the world was it like growing up with adoptive siblings uh, of that number? That had to be quite the experience. It it was awesome. My parents, Henry and Andrea Bomberger, just didn't know what they're getting into, which no parent does. You don't have to have a you know have adopted ten children to not know what you're getting into. But they really loved us like crazy. And our family didn't exactly look like uh, most families around us. We were white, black, white and black, Native American, Vietnamese, just a beautiful mixture. It was at times a, a little chaos, but surprisingly to most people, especially when we have our large family gatherings even today, which numbers over 60 plus people, <laughs> it's kind of mellow. Oh my goodness. Um, but it wasn't mellow as a kid. <laughs> That is crazy. I can't even imagine the transportation. You know, you think about the term soccer mom. I, I can't imagine you guys probably had to have a school bus for a, a vehicle, right? Well, they were called maxi vans back then. No, <laughs> yeah. no such thing as a minivan. We didn't need that. But my parents managed, and we went to public school, so very different than my wife and I, who were homeschooling parents, where right. we drive our kids everywhere. So at least they had the school to transport to us to all of our our events. But yeah, there was that maxi van that fit all 15 plus a, a few extra friends in wow. there. So well, that this, van will travel. You know, you have this uh, rich, uh, I, I guess you could say uh, it is a, a heritage of life. I mean, that is so amazing that your parents, the Bombergers, were so giving and so unselfish and I believe they had to have such vision to have this many children of uh, that kind of diversity and pouring love out into them. I mean, that is such a beautiful thing. And when you put that up against the, the kind of the culture that we're living in right now, which is so much, well, it's convoluted, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're not even sure right now what gender people are. That's uh, if you believe what they believe if you believe what they say, that they don't know what gender they are and it's fluid. And so this is, this is a timely book that you and Bethany have written called She is She with all the talk about pronouns, with all of this. Uh, tell us about what was behind the writing of this book. Well, we have four children, ages 12 through 18. They've always been inspiration for our books. My wife first authored, uh, her first children's book was Pro-Life Kids. And so this was kind of a natural progression because of where our culture is going and our kids being exposed to such nonsense ideology, but it really gets to the core of who we are as human beings. And Genesis said, God created us male and female. So before he created family, he created male and female to enable there to be family. And so to have a culture deny our most basic identity is not just confusion, it's just total chaos. And living here in Loudoun County, Virginia, I'm one of the parents, one of the, apparently, according to the DOJ, I'm one of those terrorist parents yeah, who is actually an informed and involved parent. Uh, and I've been, I've spoken at these school board meetings, but their policies contribute to this denial of basic science. And it's dangerous to tell a young child, we can't really know who we are. And to go through 
the mental and even the physical abuse that is required to actually deny who we are as male and female. So we wrote She is She to really just celebrate girls and celebrate women and to, you know, basically it's all about undeniable, biological, beautiful her. It's got to be crazy for someone that's done as much study and research as what you and Bethany did in this book. And then you hear them say, well, we, we trust the science, but yet they don't trust the science when it comes to this most important issue. And you're right. It is causing nothing but downright confusion in the lives of not only uh, the, the, the people that are maybe coming at this thing from some, uh, already some confusion, but I mean, it's being sowed and sown into the children at, at as young as three years old in these preschool things where they are starting to question whether they are a girl or whether they are a boy and then, and being told right out, you don't know what you are yet. Right. And this is, been this ongoing aggressive effort, particularly here in the West, of the erasure of women. But it's more than just the erasure of women and girls. It's about the erasure of, of objective truths. And when you can erase objective truth, then whoever's controlling the dialogue around you controls everything. And our public schools, our government-run schools, understand this. And so when we wrote She Is She, in fact, people can go to sheisshe.com. That's how you can get the book. We also have other resources that people can dig even deeper because one, we believe in presenting things age appropriately. So when people get this book, it's meant for kids ages you know, two through eight, but even older. But we allow teens and adults to go deeper um, if they want to dig deeper into these issues. But there's so much going on in this erasure. I mean, it's, it's so absurd now that there are people, children, students getting punished in school because they're what is called misgendering people. I mean, yeah. they're, they're – they're adhering to common sense. I see a girl, I'm going to call her, her or she. But, you know, for instance, there's a public school where three young boys in a middle school are being punished under Title IX, by the way, which is supposed to protect women and girls, but under Title IX being punished um, for basically they're considering it now hate speech to call someone the wrong pronoun. And so this is why we have to engage in this. This is why we can't allow the world to keep shouting a lie. Well, the rest of us who actually know the truth sit there silently because we believe the lie of inclusivity or we believe that we're, we're being more tolerant. We can't be tolerant of a lie that leads to destruction. I, I love that. And you're so right, Ryan. When you look back at what happened last year in Loudoun and the courage that the parents had, because I, I think up until then, uh, so many people were just thinking like, well, I, I who am I? I'm one voice. But you guys up there, there was such courage and there were so much, uh, so many people having this desire to speak up that it became a national thing and, and it demanded some action. Do you feel that that movement in Loudoun is continuing? Oh, it's definitely continuing. This is a long journey. This is a long haul effort. Now we've replaced several school board members, but this goes so deep. It goes to really the core of how you see humanity. So for parents who were awakened because of COVID all across the country, we've seen these school board meetings and parents finally <laughs> realizing, wait a minute, my kids don't know how to add, but now there's 76 genders. What's going on here? And so there is an awakening that's happening. And I'm grateful for the amazing parents and organizations here locally that are fighting. And it is a long slog. The problem is too many Christians and, and even those who may not even identify as a Christian who are like, boy, I don't like what's going on, have been asleep and have allowed these school boards to be overrun by far left. I'm going to call them regressives because there's nothing progressive about a lot of this ideology. That's right. yeah. And so that space has been taken up by those who do not have children's best interests at heart, but rather choose politics over people. And so this is an ongoing battle. And we're not relenting here. And even though my kids are homeschooled, I'm a taxpayer, one, and I care about my neighbor's kids. I yeah, care about yeah. the children in this community and what's happening and the indoctrination that is relentless in my, literally in my backyard. Yep, you're right. Um, and you know, you are a taxpayer and whether you're wanting your tax dollars to be spent the way they are being spent, really, and that's what Cindy and I encountered when we were homeschoolers as well. We really had no uh, otherwise way of 
of uh, saying, well, I, I don't want my money spent for that. It's just the way it is. Yet we have uh, we have to deal right now with this thing that's going on because it is becoming a, a, a thing of personal liability that people have to be aware of. And isn't it crazy to go to LinkedIn or someplace like that and you see in the bio of somebody their pronouns that they go by? I, I, I wonder, is that a trend? Is this is this like a novel thing that is just going to one day we're going to wake up and go, what the heck were we thinking of? I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, it's absurd. It's absurd. It's, it just goes to show the total collapse and the capitulation to lunacy. I mean, at what point? I mean, you've, you've got the left, for instance, in, in the House, before the House was taken over by Republicans, Democrats voted for the Equality Act. The Equality Act would lead to the control of which parts of speech which parts of speech you are able to use. So for people displaying their pronouns, okay, so they're voluntarily doing that now, but there are already city ordinances. There are already city laws that punish you if you misgender someone. So people might think, oh, that's silly, that's ridiculous, but this is actually leading into public policy. Right, yeah. And that's really dangerous. When people get, what are they gonna start then determining which verbs you're allowed to use too? This is, I mean, of course, it's a total violation of the First Amendment. If you want to absurdly put what's obvious or, you know, on your on your social media profile or deny your actual gender, that's I guess that's on you. But the problem is when it becomes forced and when they force you to use language that, you know, is not true. Hmm. It's a scary thing to realize where we are going and again, being perpetrated from our our federal government. So, you know, the Bible says a lot about this and uh, you guys have really put that out there, the comparison between what the Bible says and what science says. How do you think these pages are going to help parents in their explaining all of these issues to their kids? Well, the Bible is and should always be our reference. It is the source of truth that doesn't change. It doesn't matter you know, what the polls say and what current cultural trends say. The Bible is, is truth for whatever generation. And so this is why we have you know, additional resources here to talk about homosexuality, talk about a biblical Christian worldview, talk about how God created us male and female, and that was intentional. And mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. We have thousands, and science backs us up, by the way. That's why in our book we have a page that says, what does science say? And we go into some of the science of about sex and gender, how it's determined at the moment of fertilization, not, not like medical associations are now saying, you know, when you're born, the sex you were assigned when you're born, your sex wasn't assigned when you were born. It was determined by your DNA, which is unchanging at the point of fertilization. And so the Bible is reinforced by these scientific facts. There are thousands of physiological differences between uh, guys and girls. And so we love going to the Bible as a source of that. Uh, both Old Testament and New Testament speak about homosexuality, speak about men dressing in women's clothing and women dressing in men. I mean, yeah, it speaks right. to these issues. And there's truth. And we have to love those who are confused. But here's the difference. You need to understand the difference between love and tolerance. Love lifts people out of their circumstances. Tolerance keeps people where they are and pretends that there are no circumstances. Yeah. People need to be loved, not tolerated. Yeah. They do need to be loved. They need the truth. And, you know, we we hear that phrase uttered by Pilate. It's kind of echoing, I think, in the world today. What is truth? And that's a question that a lot of people are trying to redefine. Truth is what you make it to be for you. And it's what they're saying. And we both know that that is not going to fly in the end. It is not true. Tell us in just a time we've got left about the Radiance Foundation. Well, the Radiance Foundation is a nonprofit, educational, faith-based organization, and we're really passionate about illuminating just God-given purpose. Every human life, whether you're planned, whether you're unplanned, whether you're able or disabled, every human life has purpose. This stems from my own you know, journey in my family with disabled brothers and sisters and you know, kids of all different colors. They're all beautiful. We're one human race. We emphasize that all the time through the Radiance Foundation. So we illuminate these things through our, our ad campaigns, our billboard campaigns, our weekly op-eds in various news outlets like Christian Post, the Town Hall, and World. There are also our Compassionate Community Outreaches, and then we do about 60 keynote events across the country, 
colleges like Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame. We do Capitol Hill briefings. We help raise millions for pregnancy centers. I mean, there are so many different ways that we carry out this vision of creating a culture that believes that every human life has purpose. And so my wife, Bethany, and I and our, and our small but mighty team of, of factivists are really just passionate about illuminating this. And our culture needs it. I mean, our culture is so desperate for the truth. They're desperate to be loved. This is, this is our humanity. And even though on the outside, it seems like there is the rejection of these things, it is the very thing that is needed. Truth sets us free, not our emotions, but truth. And so we try to creatively illuminate that in so many different ways. Wow. Foundation. Uh, that's great. Ryan Bomberger, I have so appreciated this. Got to have you back on my program in the future. Uh, the website is sheisshe.com for the book, the new book that uh, they have out, sheisshe.com. And then the Radiance Foundation is radiance.life. What's ahead for you coming up in 2023? We are so excited about a lot of things. We're going to continue to create and release more books. In fact, we have he is he coming out later this year because we have to, you know, equality, all that kind of good stuff. That's right. We also have pro-life baby. We have our billboard campaign, which is called lifeispurpose.org, which we're going to launch in major cities across the country and a new campaign just highlighting how we are one human race. We've got a lot of things coming up because there's so much in our culture to kind of break through. And we are excited about how God is going to use what we do to help set people free. That's wonderful. Ryan Bomberger, he and Bethany writing this book, She is She. Thank you for being with me, Ryan. We'll be back in a moment with Carolyn Pancala. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Here we are with segment three on Afternoons with Mike. And on the line with me right now is a young lady that I met with recently. I got to work with her at a wedding. She is quite the singer, quite the heart for worship. Her name is Carolyn Pancala. And Carolyn has uh, also an organization called Courageous and Free. It's a nonprofit that works with women that are coming out of what we've talked about often on this program, sex trafficking, human trafficking. We hear it expressed in these different terms. And even to this day, I'm convinced that many people who hear the terms have no idea of, first of all, how prevalent it is, how often our young ladies, uh, even children, are abducted into this terrible lifestyle and kidnapped, as it were, or in more cases, groomed by a friend, and sometimes even by a relative, as close as their parent. Carolyn, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you taking on this uh, bold subject, my friend. You are a godly, brave man. Thank you. Well, it is our joy to talk about this. It is not uh, the most fun thing that I've ever uh, got to do in my life and certainly uh, in bringing radio guests. But I, I always go back, Carolyn, to a young lady that I met with at uh, the Deuteronomy. It's called the D6 conference, the Deuteronomy 6 a group that meets uh, every year for a big conference and it's a family outreach thing. But at this particular one, I had to, uh, I had the opportunity to talk with a young lady who had been uh, in the trafficking world for many years and God had brought her out, really made an impression, put a burden on my heart for what, uh, what you deal with, with all these people, because you, you are from Inverness, right? I mean, that's where you're based, right? Right now, that is where we are. Yes, it is. So, I mean, Inverness is right in central Florida, right in shepherd country here. We have stations in uh, the Ocala a village area. We have them in Gainesville and, of course, here in Orlando. And this this problem is more in our backyard than what almost anybody would believe. First, tell us, how did you first get involved with this? Well, you know, it's 
it's really wild. I first got involved because I was going to be a um, foster parent. Um, you know, you, anybody knows my story. I lost my parents. Uh, I lost my mom when I was six and my dad when I was 13. So I have a really big heart for, for kids that feel left and abandoned. So I was going to be a foster parent. And in doing that, my eyes started getting wide opened towards how many kids that are in the foster care system that are trafficked. And it's a real, it's a real bad situation. And the more I started getting involved in understanding these girls that were being trafficked and hearing their stories, like we work with one girl that, um, I mean, it started when she was 10 years old. It first started that her mother, um, sold her for $10, put her into a place uh, they took her to a hotel for three days and men came in and out of the hotel and after three days uh, the guy called up and said you can come home now she had to walk home two miles by herself 10 years old after being in this hotel for three days for ten dollars wow. well she ended up getting put into a foster care system and i'm not saying because there is let's make it clear if there are good foster care and that's why the people of the church, we need them raising up so much. But there is some people that have evil intent. And um, she got put into that system and was trafficked right out of there. All night long, they would take her and they'd bring her back at six o'clock in the morning. And um, so I just started realizing man, this is really an issue. But the more I started diving into it, Mike, the more I started realizing it's a $150 billion a year business. And, you know, if you go on Polaris, it says that it's 40.3 million uh, people globally that are trafficked. But the people who work in the field, who really, they say that it's upward more towards 200 million. I mean, it is, it's happening right outside of people's homes. Like these, these kids go home at night and, and it, it's just happening everywhere. And is, I get reports of this. I hear from stories of uh, directors like you who are really having a heart to help. And it is shocking to find out that it's happening so often in our very backyard, maybe in the neighborhood in which we live, there's a home just within a shouting distance that might be involved in this very thing. So it's happening all over the place, not just in foreign countries, not hardly. It's happening right in central Florida all the time. And the devastating part of this, that what I'm, I'm hearing the tie-in today from you, is that it's also been now taken advantage of by these that are, are what would otherwise look like doing just valiant things, uh, being foster parents and yet using that for evil purpose to, that's just unthinkable, isn't it? Well, you know, that's what the enemy does. And, you know, that's part of what God has put on my heart. So as much as I want to open up a restoration home and I feel very called to do that. Um, I also want to be a part of the awareness and education that, you know, churches and rotary groups and all these places and schools can bring us in to start teaching parents and grandparents and children of what is happening. I mean, even myself, um, you know, I'm a mature woman. And even on Facebook, I've had three men try to contact me on Facebook that they, and my husband's like, who is calling you? And Mike, if, if it wouldn't have happened to me personally, I would have never really understood how it's happening. But these these traffickers, they make they their goal is every day to make phone calls, Instagrams, uh, Facebook things. They do five hundred a day. And do you know who they approach? Is the person that answers back. So if you've got a 12-year-old little girl or a 10-year-old little boy who is home alone, they're bullied at school, they feel alone, they feel ugly, they don't feel like they're there, and then all of a sudden some person comes on pretending like they're 12 or 14 years old and going, hey, I see that you like to play this or I see you're sad or, I mean, that's, they call it being groomed. And so 60% of all the people that it's happened to are groomed into this. I mean, only like three or 5% are stolen or taken. I'm not saying that doesn't happen because it does happen, but 60% are groomed. Yes. 
And you're uh, exactly right in saying they're groomed through the process of befriending them and actually trying to win them over, win their uh, confidence, win their trust uh, by acting like they really care about the person, which the truth is they don't care at all about the person. They're just using them. And that is what's uh, sadly the story of so many. And it's happening not only globally, it is happening in Thailand and uh, other major nations, but it's happening right in Inverness, right in Orlando, in Ocala, in Gainesville. It's happening everywhere. And I really wish people understood that um, Florida is number three and very quickly could be, it's like a really, and could be number two. I mean, California is number one and you've got Texas and um, Florida that are really, you know, and, and the thing about Florida is it's our climate. It's all of, um, it's our entertainment. Um, we've got a lot of things here that makes this really prone. It's our water. Um it just, and it's right around us. I mean, we had a girl, if I can share this story and it's okay. Um, we had a girl that we met with not too long ago and she didn't even know that she was being trafficked. She thought she was just helping her boyfriend because he was hurting for money. And when she realized that she was being trafficked, um, she approached him, you know, she, and, uh, she called her mother and said, first time her mom had heard from her in three years and she said can I come home she goes I'm very afraid I think they're going to going to uh, kill me and it wasn't three days later that she was gone oh my and people really need to understand I mean what we're dealing with is it's a serious big business I mean I'm going to say it again because it's just it's a hundred and fifty billion dollar a year business and um we we need to be there. We we need to start reaching out to them because they, they don't have anywhere to go. For them to leave, it's dangerous. So, you know, there's ways that we have to do this to make it safe for them and get them hidden and take them in and uh, protect them. On I'm, the, I know on right the, now you're raising money for a home that would be a permanent establishment for these people uh, who you are reaching and it is going to be called Serenity Orchards. And uh, you have a pamphlet out. Again, you're raising funds right now. If people would like to donate, uh, they can uh, get in touch with you. Give us your website. And uh, share just a few minutes, if you will, about the vision of Serenity Orchards. I appreciate that, Mike. So, yes, if they go to courageousandfree.org, that's courageousandfree.org, because I believe that you have to be courageous to get free, right? Especially in anything of life, but especially these girls. So if they go to courageousandfree.org and they can see we have a ministry video, an awareness video that I wish that they would watch. I've got a couple girls that are, are survivors on there. We have an anti-trafficking sheriff that I work with very closely. Um, they can watch that video and they can share it. Um, our goal is that we want to open up a home. Um, we will be the first home in Citrus um, County. Uh, and uh, we want to open up a home that's not just a shelter. Um, it is going to be a place that we will bring these girls in. It will be safe, but we will also help them. We're partnering with a school, uh, a Votech school, that they we will help them get their GEDs. We'll help them get a college degree because so many of these girls go back to their traffickers seven to nine times because they have no money and they have no GEDs. They have no way to get jobs. So what we want to start doing is empowering them of how they can get a life. So we will give them life skills. There will be life coaching. We will have um, therapy. We will do um, um, counseling. Um, there's, I mean, just simple little things of down to basics of how to learn how to take care of yourself, how to do a budget, how to do a resume. Um, really what we're going to do is create a family atmosphere and we will just start from 101, 101, the same thing that you would do with your children. We will do with these girls and uh, we will begin to raise them back up to see who their value is and their worth is um, in Christ and uh, not in the world's way. These girls, they need advocates. They need people who are caring. And sometimes that can be a grandparent. Uh, sadly, as we've talked about, 
oft times it is a parent turning their own child over for profit, for gain. It's unthinkable in human terms that this is going on, but it really is. And uh, this is something, again, that we just need to continually pray about. Uh, Carolyn, we're going to have to have you back on the program, so we'd love to have you come up to our studio at some point and talk a little bit more about this, plus, uh, especially as uh, Serenity Orchards uh, gets going and gets underway. There's a whole other thing about you. You're a singer, and uh, we've got just a minute. Tell us about that. How how did you get involved in singing? Well, my dad was um, a minister. He was a preacher, and so man, we always say that as soon as you could talk, man, you were on you were on stage singing. And so, um, I've just been worshiping all over the world. Got the privilege to uh, do it at some incredible places with Mother Teresa. Um, we've been at the White House. We've been at a lot of great places, just taking this message of hope. I feel that the darker it gets out here, Mike, the more that our light's going to shine bright. Uh, just the message that if you're down, well, we've got a person that can pull you back up. There is hope. When you feel hopeless, there is hope. And I think that's what worship music is a way that connects people to that hope. Well, you do a wonderful job at it. Again, it was a wedding of a mutual friend that we yeah. got to work together. I was running the sound and Carolyn was singing and just doing a phenomenal job. It's a real delight to talk with you today and give us that website one more time, Carolyn. Courageousandfree.org. And please, if they want to feel free to call me, you know, they can bring us into their church, to their Rotary Club to their school. Um, if they would like to donate, obviously that's a blessing to God because it's, uh, this is not a cheap undertaking, but we really believe that it's a calling. It is a necessity and uh, we know that God is going to provide. Courageousandfree.org. Carolyn Pancala, thank you for being with me today. And friends, thank you for joining us as well right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music> 